But of course, in the last few days, one of the main things that's been on our mind is the war in Ukraine. And you've probably seen maybe some of the photos of the thousands of people sleeping in abandoned subways. You know, Poland has stated that they have opened their borders and that 100,000 Ukrainians have crossed their borders. You probably also heard as well the story about Irina and Sviatoslav, and they were planning on getting married in a couple of months, but because of the war and the uncertainty of what would happen, they got married, I believe on Thursday, to the sound of sirens announcing the invasion, and then right after they got married, they joined their local defense for their city, for their town. And I bring up these examples because they contrast the tragedy of war with the dignity of the human person. You know, sometimes we can get lost in the numbers or it seems so far away, but all of these people, even those 100,000 people, those people sleeping in the abandoned subways, they're all real people like us, all of them with hopes and dreams for the future. And now, their lives are turned upside down by war. And we acknowledge as well that war is an affront to the dignity of the human person. So today I just want to walk with you on, with regards to not necessarily the political situation, but the church's understanding and teaching about war and peace. And so what has been the response of the church? You know, on the ground there, there's been some pretty amazing witnesses. One of the priests who works for EWTN, was there, and he was, there, he was being filmed, and he could have left, but he was saying on camera that he wanted to stay. He wanted to be with his people. One of the bishops in Ukraine was mentioning a kind of a new initiative for the people because there was a rule or a proclamation that came out that people couldn't come to Mass because of the dangerousness of the situation. And so what the bishop said is like, we'll bring Christ to the bomb shelters. And so this Sunday, priests are going to the bomb shelters to celebrate the divine liturgy with the people. Obviously, the CCCB has released a statement regarding Ukraine. And even the Holy Father himself has gone to the Russian embassy in the Holy See to try to mediate peace. Because what the church acknowledges, and what she says in her official documents, is that she condemns the savagery of war. In fact, the war of aggression is intrinsically immoral. So someone taking the initiative to go into war, the church is taught that that's always wrong. And so John Paul II writes, he says this, he says that violence is evil. Violence is unacceptable as a solution to problems. Violence destroys what it claims to defend, the dignity of life, the freedom of human beings. And as I mentioned last week, you know, John Paul II is a man who lived through World War II. He saw the carnage and destruction of war. And even though he saw the Allies win in Poland, he saw a new tyrant go in as well too. And so he knew that violence does not bring true peace, that darkness does not banish out darkness. So the church condemns war, of course, the war of aggression in particular. But in response to a war of aggression, the church also says that a nation has the right and the duty to defend themselves. 
And so this is what the church has developed, which is known as just war theory. And in fact, there are several conditions under which one can engage in this type of self-defense war. And so the first condition is this, is that the damage inflicted is lasting, grave, and certain. And so when someone is discerning whether they should engage in war, especially the war of defense, they're saying, okay, is this, is this lasting, meaning that it's going to be a permanent or long-term kind of damage that's going to be done? Is it serious, right, not, and not just minor? And is it certain, right? Is it something that is very likely or morally, we're morally certain that it's going to happen, right, and not just a potential hypothetical? The second condition is that other, all other means to ending war have been shown to be ineffectual and impractical. So what that means is that a nation should have tried to at least use other means to try to end the war through dialogue or particular sanctions or whatever, right? Other processes to be able to diffuse the situation. The third is that there must be serious prospect of success. And so if there is war that is impending, and even though the the party that's being attacked has a right to defend themselves, if in defending themselves they have no chance of success, it means that there will be casualties for no good cause. And so that's something to consider as well too, that you know, we still need to respect the dignity of the person, even in our defense as well. And maybe other solutions might be possible or better. The fourth is that the use of arms must not produce evils and disorders graver than the evil eliminated. And the church is referring particularly to modern warfare, where we have like nuclear bombs and atomic bombs, and that the goal of war is not to exact revenge on the other nation as such, right? Because we don't want to create a worse situation than the situation that we're already in. And so the whole goal in, uh, of everything, of course, is peace. And additionally as well, just because nations are engaged in warfare, it doesn't mean that all holds barred or, or you know, it's, it's, all, it's no conditions, right? Even those who are combatants in war must continue to follow the natural law, the moral law. And then finally, this, these decisions must be done by the prudential judgment of those responsible for the common good. And so those who are in authority must take it upon themselves to discern these conditions, to be able to make the right judgment and call. But as I mentioned as, as well, that the goal of all political authorities, and even of just war theory, is the achievement of peace. Peace is ultimately the aim of what we are looking for. But what is true peace? And the church has a very interesting uh, writing about this. You know, in her teaching Gaudium et Spes, she has a whole section actually about war and disarmament. So if you're interested of learning what the church is teaching, is I really encourage you to go to the document Gaudium et Spes and look on the section about war. And the church says that peace is more than the absence of war or the maintenance of a balance of power. And so that's really interesting, right? Sometimes we have a very shallow view of peace. We think peace is like when there's no fighting, right? There's the absence of war and that 
there's maybe powers there, they're just maintaining their powers. But as we know with the Cold War, even though there was no like World War III going on, there were satellite wars, people were still living in fear because of the threat of war that was still there. And so the absence of conflict is not necessarily the sign of peace because really sometimes it could just be a lull in the storm of conflict. But the church teaches that there are three things which are actually the conditions for peace. First is the respect for the dignity of the human person. The second is the practice of fraternal love. And third, peace is the effect of righteousness. Peace is the effect of righteousness. And so beyond the immediate things that we can do now, for example, you know, the Knights of Columbus has a great um, fund to help the displaced Ukrainians. If you donate, you can, it, they match up to it and 100% of the funds goes there. Or you know, to open your borders or you know, to help immigrants, things like that. Beyond those immediate things, each of us here can begin to work for peace. We can work for peace now in our daily lives. Right in the gospel today, Jesus says, a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. And so I truly believe that the good fruit of peace can only come from a truly just society. Of course, politics is very complicated and there are many other factors that are involved in this. But if we truly have a society that is truly just, that we're forming people in the virtue, in living a righteous life, and therefore we are forming leaders who are also living according to virtue and according to justice, we can begin to bear the fruit of peace in our own nation and to be a sign in the world. And so it's more than just the government in their responsibility of establishing peace. Each of us has the responsibility, the individual responsibility of respecting the dignity of each human person in practicing justice and even love. Love is important too because justice is giving to the other person what is their due. But love exceeds the demands of justice and goes beyond it. And that is what truly guarantees a peaceful society. And so, you know, if we do not respect the dignity of our neighbors here and now on an individual level, how is that going to convince, or why, how, or why should the government respect the dignity of other persons or other nations as well? And so although our failures don't lead to war directly, but I, find, I believe that the combined aggregate of justice and peace in our lives and our communities can lead to a just society and therefore to peace. But ultimately, our faith, we believe that Jesus is our peace. St. Paul says, In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And so ultimately, Jesus is our peace because He is the one who can truly make us one. He's the one who can truly bring true justice. And I believe it's for two reasons. The first is that, you see, we live in a fallen world 
And so our hope for justice and peace is encountered by fallen men and leaders. And so we must constantly have to work for peace. And so Jesus gives us the grace to overcome our brokenness. And so that on our own, which we cannot achieve, which is justice, with his grace, we can. And finally, secondly, it is Jesus who truly makes us one. See, Jesus truly forms a Catholic community, right? And by Catholic, we mean universal, right? Universal, meaning that there are people from all tribes, tongues, and nations. And he is the one who can truly make us a fraternal community, one body, one spirit in him. That's what we pray in the Eucharistic prayer. And so in some ways, the church is the answer to the the ills and the injustices and the division we experience in our world today. And so to conclude, my brothers and sisters, let us commit to peace, not only through assisting displaced Ukrainians by praying and fasting, but with Jesus as our peace in our hearts. Let's begin to commit to peace in our families, and then therefore in our communities, and therefore our nation, so that in doing so, we prepare our hearts to receive the gift of that kingdom where war shall never exist again, as the prophet Isaiah speaks. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore.